When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The human race is about to be wiped out. We have 50,000 people left and that's it. So say we all. So say we all. So say we all. Battlestar Galactica Season 2, Episode 2 is over, but we have to go fracking down the hatch to talk about BSG here on Post Show Recaps. That's right, it's Down the Hatch, Battlestar Galactica Edition, talking today about Season 2's second episode, Valley of Darkness. I'm Josh Wigler, and joining me in the Valley of Darkness, the great Mike Bloom. This is where I take up my summer home. I live perpetually in the Valley of Darkness. (laughs) Is that right? You don't seem like a Valley of Darkness guy. I mean, listen, that's the facade that I present, right? But underneath this metallic toaster-like veneer is a fleshy, pulpy, beating heart of a man. And that man takes up (laughs) residence in the Valley of Darkness. Where is the Valley of Darkness, Josh? Are we in the Valley of Darkness in this episode? I Maybe it's just like I need to be super handheld when it comes to people referring to the title of the episode within the episode this maybe got a bit too abstract for me what the valley of darkness is the name for this episode yeah is there some sort of like biblical reference that i am not aware of or is it just saying hey all these characters are in a metaphoric valley of darkness as i walk through the valley of death i shall fear no evil finish it finish it (laughs) that's right so valley of darkness i think is a reference to uh the most moment when Senator uh, Palpatine or Chancellor Palpatine fully sits out and becomes Emperor Palpatine in The Revenge of the Sith. Uh, So uh, very silly of us to have Mm. not clocked that, especially for this episode of Battlestar Galactica that I believe comes out before or after Revenge of the Sith. When was It's got to be before. It was summer 2005, Uh right? Uh-huh. Yeah, so, uh, probably... May 19th, 2005, not long after, to be honest with wow. you. So very timely uh, reference oh, on God. July 22nd, I, I just came in, Ronald D. Moore walks into the office. I, my mind was just blown yeah. by this movie. We got to name an episode after this, like, D-string title that came from one of these characters. Uh, that's actually Petty Officer Duala string title. <laughs> Yes. Call, it, call it by its name. We got Alpha, Alpha String, Bravo String, Charlie uh-huh. String, and D String. And Petty Officer Duala String as well. Oh, uh, well, uh, Billy's wondering if she's wearing a Duala String. Yikes. Yeah, close, close the curtains. Uh, my oh, God. Medbay is about to open get... open a very different type of curtains if you Med catch Bay. my drift. Medbay's getting, uh, getting lit. Uh, yeah, imagine the... Doc Coddles. <laughs> I imagine a deleted scene as Doc Coddle walks into the wrong 
you know, little he opens uh, the curtain. Oh, you're not a dumb. <laughs> Actually, I'm going to stay for a few minutes. I, um, uh, I now need my, this. My question for you is Ben behind that curtain. Ben, if you are, you <laughs> sick freak. <laughs> you sick frack. Don't watch uh, them. They're just youths <laughs> trying Listen. to fall in love in the strife of war. Ben has to get all of the data here for Battlestar Galactica. So we salute uh, all of your efforts in that front. Uh, of course, we were talking about Battlestar Galactica season two, episode two. It is the first time Mike Bloom has ever watched Battlestar Galactica. I've seen it before. It's a spoiler free podcast. You can send in feedback down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. That's down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. Come if you want to get your feedback in. If it's spoiler-filled, just tag it as such so that we can reserve that for a future date and not spoil Mike Bloom. Mike Bloom, this feels like part two of a two-part premiere. I mean, we literally had a to-be-continued from the last episode. So yeah, suffice it to say, even though the episode title might have gone over my head, the idea that this was the follow-up, the two-punch to the one, straight to the eyeball of Lee Adama, uh, was certainly felt by me. That being said, really enjoyed it. What a freaking uppercut to finish off this duology, if you will, of episodes to start <laughs> off season two. Yes, uh, you liked this one. Really enjoyed this one. I yep. will not uh, give away too much in terms of my rating, but I liked it more than the first episode. Oh. I, I understand the first episode's necessity in hindsight of both needing to welcome us all back as well as set up what's to come in the second episode, but... I really do feel like Is this, this the shape of things to come. Yeah, exactly. In which case, no, once again, we'll say for the second time in this series, this is not the shape of things to come. That's a different episode of a different show with a different peeping Tom Ben behind the curtain. But I do think that this episode really delivered for me. I think what made me like it more than episode one was I felt like it was delivering on all three storylines. We're not necessarily dealing with it in a way that Flesh and Bone did of, in my opinion, really connecting everything through with like this very nice thematic through line. I guess you could argue that the thematic through line through all three storylines here, which is of course everything to do with the big G, uh, to do with Caprica and to do with Cobol is lost, is the idea of losing someone or losing something and how does that affect you? But that's also like a core tenet of the show in general. Sure, so yes, it's weird to kind yeah. of specify to this episode. But I just feel like the quality of all three storylines, I really enjoyed. I mean, Josh, I cannot sit here and go through a Caprica storyline that is not only solid, but actually good for an episode and not commend the episode for it. Yeah, the Caprica stuff's pretty fun, huh? Uh, yeah. Going back to like Starbucks uh, apartment. Going back to Starbucks. <laughs> we go back to Starbucks in this episode and they're all out of coffee. All they got is a single pack of noodles. <laughs> yeah, it's just here. The, uh, the Starbucks where they invested way too much in interior decorating. And so it's just festooned with art pieces and no coffee. Arst pieces, yeah. Yeah, do you think that Starbucks was like, Hilo, you're not looking hard enough. We've got more than just noodles. There's toast here. There's jam back at the house, at the back of the house. Like, you can make a sandwich. He's like, it's just mold. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I would love to see the adventures of, like, derelict Starbucks in her poor podunk apartment. Yeah, we'll talk about it. The painting thing 
really took me by surprise because I'm trying to remember, I don't think we've ever seen her do that on the big G in her downtime. Maybe, maybe it's just because when you're an officer of a certain rank, like everything is out in the open and maybe she's not the type of character to necessarily open herself up by taking up the brush and oil paints. Sure. But still a really interesting perspective from this character in so many ways, as much as I malign the idea of like, oh, great. She's with Hilo on Caprica. This is a recipe for disaster. The actual final product has turned out to taste not as bad as I thought it would. So I think what um, what comes to mind for me as far as moments that have gestured at Kara's artistic side, I think about when she was stranded uh, and she is able to commandeer the Raider and she is able to like put Starbuck uh, underneath the wings. Like that's the closest I can think of her like doing an art project. Yeah, being able to use masking <laughs> tape to spell her name yeah. is very much akin to the gallery she has left in her apartment. Yeah, and I don't know that that necessarily feels like the same thing. No, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> She's more likely to paint something in someone's blood than she was an actual painting. Yeah. Uh, what did you think of Kara's uh, artistic stylings? Uh, a little pedestrian. Oh, really, Mike? Is that right? It's a little <laughs> pedestrian. I live in the Valley of Darkness. I'm a snob. <laughs> you snob? A little There's pedestrian. something to be desired from. Being honest. Yeah, that's going to be a review of this podcast. <laughs> uh, down the hatch, a little pedestrian, if I'm honest. Oh, we are sub-pedestrian <laughs> at this point. <laughs> We're sewer people. The yeah. lowest of the lowest yeah. bar of humanity. Yeah, yeah, we're in the sewers. We're in the depths. Um, all right, well, let's get into the depths of Darkness, Mike. Valley of Darkness, Season 2, Episode 2. It's directed once again by Michael Reimer, written by David Weddle and Bradley Thompson. Originally airs July 26, uh, 22nd, rather, 2005, uh, just a couple of short months after the release of Star Wars, Episode 3. Oh, I can't wait for next episode to just be called No! <laughs> Revenge of the Sith. Um, all right, well, let's start with everything that happened happens with uh, the big G uh, and the invasion of the big G. And initially, nobody is really quite as concerned as they ought to be. They do not know the full extent of what has happened. And in fact, the, uh, the first stuff that we get from the big G is the big B and the big D, Billy and D. Please don't call them the big D. <laughs> seeing each other, the big B and the big D, seeing each other in the big G for the first time in a long time. And he's like, I'm really sorry. I haven't been you know, putting our relationship front and center. And she's like, that's okay. You've been too busy plotting, plotting an insurrection and uh, completely being a dick. And he's like, that's not nice. And she goes, you're right. And then she basically like leaves. Yeah, after that's that. it. Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, they say they haven't seen each other for two weeks, which I guess does date stamp things a bit. I mean, sh could she also clock him on that time when like they were making out in the viewing deck and he was definitely fishing for information from her about the whole Adama's Asylum thing? Do you yeah. think that's sort of encapsulated in this entire accusation? Yeah, I think that that might not make her feel great. Like, I no. think that, like, you know, it was fine in the moment. Like, they were able to just, like, kind of, like, go about their date. Uh, but I think here in this instance, uh, it doesn't seem like she's so thrilled about, like, the more businessy relationship that they have, especially when um, she probably views it as Billy's contributions to Rosalind's plot is a big part of why they're in the mess that they're in right now and why Adama's on a ventilator. Yeah, that's very true. And I also do think there's just this 
general idea of oh you put work first that yes. like at the end of the day your heart is to your mother in Roslyn over me one of those classic relationship conundrums and Billy doesn't have that much of a leg to stand on in this moment the dude is basically a walk a <laughs> because he just has a peg leg right he has yeah. the one leg and the peg leg it did get blown off in the insurrection uh but yeah. he, and he almost gets something else blown off in this episode but yes. I do think that the guy is a pretty much like string bean red flag at this point from d's perspective of what has he done for you lately yeah what have you done in, for me lately in so many ways like you don't respect our relationship you don't respect the position that i am in in fact you exploited it and then from my perspective you basically try to overthrow the entire military yeah from my perspective it's president Roslin who is evil <laughs> Oh, if only they'd co-opted the Mustafar dialogue from Anakin and Obi-Wan into this <laughs> this dichotomy. Billy's you were, a little Anakin-ish. You were like a brother to me, Billy. Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> then that makes this really weird. Yeah. Uh, lots of questions about what we did on the on the deck the other night. Uh so yeah, they're just you know setting this up because there's some tension here and We'll resolve it, uh, or at least uh, move it forward by the end of this episode. So Forward and back and forward and back and forward and back again. In all sorts of directions. Uh, the lights start to flicker out. They're forward and back as well. Uh, sometimes they're on, sometimes they're off. And Ty is in the med bay, still hanging out over Bill Adama. So we're really picking right back up. Uh, and he's trying to figure out what's going on in the CIC. Gata and your favorite, Kelly, uh, they're working to get emergency systems uh, online. I was waiting for the toasters to... I know they obviously had bigger and better places to be, but I was waiting for them to infiltrate the CIC and for Commander Kelly to get one through yeah. the gut. That being said, he really backs off of his high horse in this episode. He's pretty much relegated to like one of Ty's bounce boys while they stay in the CIC. The, um, I gotta say, maybe this is not the point. Maybe it is the point to talk about this. Lots of missed opportunities from the Cylons in this episode, I think. Yeah, like, the Cylons are going to get an LVP point for me for numerous reasons, Uh, both on Caprica, the fact that seemingly, because we haven't seen any remnants of the Cylons on Caprica in season two, they're just sort of like, well, you know, our test projects got away, so mission accomplished. We don't need to do anything about these humans, despite the fact that we dragged the rest of them to incinerators. And then here, yeah, where they clearly had a place to go, but they had such small forces that you would think, hey, don't you want to, like, reroute it a little bit? Like, I know, you, I know you have the intention to really take over more so the nervous system of the ship but the cic is really the heart don't you want to strike at the heart at least a little bit i think you want to strike at the heart at least a tiny tiny bit um so i don't know i feel like they got adama shot right like this seems to be like if we're trying to figure out what the cylons have done here is like they unlock boomer boomer shoots adama adama is taken out the cylons are able to like cause a lot of chaos and there's like the whole big attack on the big g in last week's episode and we gave the points pretty handily to the cylons last week but then they're able to infiltrate the big g and ty lays out like what they're going to be able to do very cleanly he's like They'll get to the center of the ship. They'll come to the CIC. They'll kill all of us. They'll turn all the guns on the rest of the fleet and finally take us out. What a clean, easy shot to take out humanity, Mike Bloom. 
and these fracking toasters blow it. They get like killed by like a like injured party of five people. Oh, party of five, including yeah, no Matthew Fox. <laughs> oh, uh, imagine Jamie Bamber and that terrible party of five. Jamie hair. Bamber has a little bit of a Scott Wolf thing going mm-hmm, on, mm-hmm. but it's like a shaken crew of people who are not trained fighters, and they are able to take out the toasters no problem. So yeah, I think it's a pretty bad look for the Cylons in this episode. Well, it becomes even more compounded by the fact that in the deleted scenes this week, we had one stray flashback to, speaking of bad wigs, the uh, salad days of young mustachio. That's what they Adama. call me when I'm naughty. Yes, exactly. Bad and wigs. Full, and full hair tie <laughs> uh-huh. uh, back in their bad wigs days, yeah. you know, while they're still uh, out of the fleet. And there's a sequence where they share a bunch of war stories back and forth about fighting the Cylons. And this is when Adama reveals to Ty, oh, I was previously stationed on the Galactica, and the Cylons tried to take us out in a very efficient way, where they tried to get to secondary damage control and auxiliary fire control, where the intention was shut off life support, you know, starve us us of oxygen before we could even get to our AV suits, and then turn the guns upon the rest of the fleet. And so it turns out, the reason why Ty was able to pull this plan out of his bald ass is because Adama fed it to him years and years ago. So not only are these Cylons coming in and doing this, they're coming in doing the exact same thing they did decades ago and failed at. Yeah, yeah. So they really like um, have not been able to adjust the plan all that much. Uh, and... You know, the results kind of speak for themselves, Mike. It's a a well-earned hero moment for uh, at least an Adama in this episode. So we'll get to all of that. Uh, First, the Viper Pilots. They're getting out of their Vipers. Uh, We've got Apollo, Cat, Hot Dog, and Flyboy. For uh, now. For for now. And Jammer, who is one of Chief's men, uh, they're like, hey, what's going on with all these lights? Uh, What's happening? He's like, yeah, power's out. It's probably fine. Uh, Sound-powered phones are working. That's about it. But I'm sure it's fine. Let's walk down this dark, spooky hallway all by ourselves. Surely nothing will go go wrong. Yeah, let's go down this valley of darkness together. It's going to be great. Uh, And so... Apollo is the one who's like, so I know we're all celebrating and patting ourselves on the back, but there was a Cylon ship that we uh, missed and also one that crashed into the big G. So this is probably not great. Uh, And as he is saying this and as they are walking around and as Flyboy continues to brag about everything, Flyboy gets killed. Flyboy gets like killed by like the Cylons doing their best Freddy Krueger. Yeah, welcome to Big G, bitch. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I don't know. A little bit of a weak sauce way to kill Flyboy, though. Maybe it's because of special effects. Like, I wanted something gruesome. These are Cylons, and they just kind of, like, raked him across the chest yeah. to the point of Freddy Krueger, and they that just, was like, it. saber-toothed him. That's not yeah, quite like, enough. So Sinus was able to live for far longer, and he was in much worse shape. Flyboy's down right there, right there. Well, we kind of leave Flyboy there. Do we know that Flyboy died immediately? We just get his story kind of ends. So oh, God, uh, I you hope know, so. You can imagine. You can make uh, you can make your own uh, headcanon about all of that, but the pilots run away because they're like, nope, not going to be involved in that. They're all freaked out. They're like covered in Flyboy's blood. It's a real scrap. Uh, and then as Apollo is getting cornered by one of the Centurions, there is a Marine who shows up and obliterates this thing. Yep. So it turns out that while the Cylons have not upgraded their tactics, I guess they have upgraded their hardware, even for the Centurions. They're not able to be 
as uh, you know, conspicuous within humanity. They're not able to blend in, but they have been more fortified. It seems like only explosive rounds are the way to take them down. And I imagine after this, Josh, they're going to like get those prisoners in Zarek's colony to just ditch the water stuff and start making as many explosive rounds as possible. Yeah, so I think that that sounds right. That should be a priority. Explosive bullets. We're going to need those here against these uh, Centurions. But they're going to go and they're going to try and uh, arm up and get the proper equipment moving forward. Um, Meanwhile, they just don't know what they're up against, how many of these things are on board. Apollo is going to write a note for the CIC. He gives it to Hot Dog. Hot Dog, give this to Colonel Ty or whoever's in charge. Uh, They're going to need to know what's going on. Do you Um, think that the note should have said, do you like me? Check yes or no. Check yes or no. (laughs) Do you think I'm a disappointment to my father and the entire military industrial complex? Check yes or no. Do you think that I will frack Kara Thrace within the next five episodes? Check yes or no. And Ty's like, God, I wish. Yeah, I wouldn't I've been take really, that bet. I, I've been rooting for the two of you. <laughs> I wouldn't take that bet. Uh, so he's going to run off and go and do that. Meanwhile, in the CIC, Lieutenant Gaeta uh, is trying to send a signal to all the ships, telling them not to approach the Galactica. We have been boarded, but the Cylons jam the signal. Um, everybody is starting to figure out that shit has hit the fan, including even in the brig as Laura Roslin and Billy uh, can hear the gunshots. And Roslin asks her guard, this guy, Venner, who we know has like um, these like sort of like feelings that Roslin is prophetic and she mm-hmm. is like this uh, religious figure. Uh, she's able to convince him after a little bit of back and forth to release her. She's like, I'm not going to get shot like a rat in a cage here. And so he releases her. Now, Mike... She is released from prison two episodes in to season two of Battlestar Galactica. And just to reset it, Mike, the prediction that you made heading into season two, heading out of season one, was that Rosalind will be in prison for max two episodes. She's out. She's out of jail until the end of the episode in which she gets thrown back into jail. So what are we talking about? I like to count it as one because I specifically said last week that when the shit hits the fan, she is going to be sprung. They find it a necessity that like for her own survival or what have you. So I still think it is a thing. Uh, It's a bit different than like Adama coming back to life for a hot second. And then if I made a bet of like, when is Adama going to be nursed back to health, which at this rate, maybe like halfway through the season at this point, because this old body is on the mend. I like to count that we had an entire ass episode of Laura Roslin not behind bars navigating the big G. That counts, in my opinion. Yes, I think that that, that does count. So, um, I don't know. I think, uh, let's say yes. I'm going to say that you got this. Uh, I had been over here being like, he's not going to get it because she's still in prison by the end of episode two. And then I'd forgotten that like she spends the whole episode outside of jail. So, I think it counts. Yeah, I and not only that, that, she kicks ass in this episode. She does. Great Roslin episode. Really great Roslin episode. Not to spoil too much about our point section, but I think as much as we talked last week about like, huh, it's kind of weird that our big four of the Adamas and Roslin and Starbuck are in this episode. Starting to shape back up, baby. We're back with the classics in this one. Last week was not the shape of things to come. Uh, Conveniently enough for the only episode of the past three to not mention the shape of things to come that Roslin, even from the beginning here, like being able to command so much respect above this corporal and basically be like, listen, let your God go, you know, allow the prophet to at least die on her feet instead of living on her knees.
So Apollo is going to show up to the brig, Mike. Uh, he's going to come and he is going to give them the update uh, that we are uh, we are under attack. We are going uh, for uh, the we're going to try and find all of the weapons. We're going to the armory. We're going for the magazines. Is that what he says? That's what we're, it says. We're locked our, on reading material. Yeah, that's what it says in our notes from the great Ben yeah. behind the no, curtain. No, the magazines. Magaz magazines is a term for, uh, I believe it's like a right. round of bullets. Yes, correct. Uh, I was thinking jackets. Uh, uh, full metal jackets is what they were mm. aiming for. And then I had it in my mind of what Evangelina had been uh, on the big G. Uh, Paula, can I have your jacket? Oh, I would imagine Angelina's like, don't worry, Apollo? I'll negotiate with the Cylons. <laughs> oh, man, I would like to see that. I think it would be something pretty She special. would get flyboyed so bad. Oh, She'd be fly God. girl. Yes. Uh, okay, so they're going to go and they're going to run for it. Um, Apollo gives Billy a gun. Uh, he's like, do you know how to use this thing? And Billy's like, uh, not really. <laughs> It's almost immediately put the gun in the immediate vicinity of his junk. Yeah. Just put it by your junk. It'll be fine. I saw um, this on that uh, hit hollow program, Breaking Bad, from years uh, and years ago. This is how yeah. Walter White did it. Yeah, this should be fine. Um, so Venner and one of the Marines are going to stay behind with Billy and Roslyn. This Marine's name is Bonnington. Oh, I'm surprised he didn't go with like... It's it's I'm always trying to figure out, okay, is it a call sign or is it the real last name? It seems like this one did not earn a call sign, though I guess you don't have a call sign if you're a pilot, I'm assuming. Uh yeah, no, I think it's a it's a pilot thing. Okay. So yeah, then that's a very hoity toity name. I'm assuming his family yeah. got to live in far from the opposite of Starbucks residing. The Downton Abbey of Caprica, whatever that is. Yeah, Bonnington Abbey. Yes, I think that that would be good. Uh, so Bonnington is going to stay behind with Rosalind. Lord Bonnington here is going to stick around. I um, don't know how to do this. <laughs> I also only use pellet guns. Uh, so Apollo's going to go. Just to shoot the servants when they don't bring me the right caviar. Apollo is going to go and find the caviar of guns. I guess I don't know. <laughs> uh, that's what they're after. Uh, Gata says that there are viruses in their subsystems. Uh, we're cleaning them out, but it's going to take an hour to restore main power. And gosh, Mike, this is what Bill Adama had always been warning them about. You don't network your computers. I really had no idea that Felix Gata was the IT person on the ship. Like, I thought he was much more from an operations perspective of, like, managing all the balls to be juggled in the air and being like, you know, like an, like an Ahura type, the one to report what's happening to the people that are in charge. Between last episode and this one, and I guess the other one as well, uh, you know, where, what's-her-name, came aboard Shelly Godfrey, and he had right. to, like, be on CSI. I just had no idea that Gata was the computer guy of the Big G. Yeah, uh, he is. He's the, you know, he's tech man. Uh, so he's all about the tech. Kelly what says a better person to make a Cylon, by the way. Well, look, you know, uh, they're everywhere. Uh, Kelly is assembling the Marines uh, at the checkpoints, but the comms are spotty. Uh, he knows that the, the teams have been split, uh, and uh, Ty is going to tell them which way that they should be going. Ty knows the tactics. They're heading to secondary damage control and auxiliary fire control. The plan is to vent the crew into space and then turn Galactica's weapons on the fleet, and it sounds like a very good plan if they're able to execute it. Yeah, so I was today years old when I realized that auxiliary fire control did not mean 
the ability to put out fires on the ship. Yeah. It's like, what would they need with all the fire extinguishers? I guess if you start a fire and you have access to the fire extinguisher that solves the problem, but no, it makes more sense that it's more so about commandeering all the guns, the, the, voluminous amount of them aboard the big g and firing upon all these other civilian ships that have been ordered do not touch this mothership just stay where you are yes uh so uh, apollo is going to be able to get his team to the small arms locker there are bodies on the way and when they get there uh, a person named jammer is hiding oh, there I uh, was... starbucks like oh i have some of you back at my house I'll admit for a hot second, I was getting I was getting real Leobin vibes from Jammer of like, oh, so the one person who happens to be left behind after a big Cylon raid is not a Cylon whatsoever. But no, Jammer's trousers are basically brown at this point. This kid is scared <laughs> shitless yeah. by everything that's happened. If he's a Cylon, he's a pretty bad one. Yeah. He makes it through the episode, which is a surprise, right? Like I think like a character like this gets introduced and you think just to be red shirted, but uh Jammer Jammer is yellow shirt through and through. Uh yeah. he's able to survive. And I guess the question is, we obviously don't have Tyrrell or Callie, which I guess might be like the number two behind Tyrrell. Maybe, maybe so Sinus was also wiped off the board in a different way. We don't know any other of the other mechs. Is like Jammer the designated survivor here? Is that why yes. he was hidden in the small arms locker? Yeah, he's the key for Sutherland of the flight deck for sure. Oh, uh, we're in such a bad spot. Yeah. We thought we were our problems were over, but now Jammer's the one that's making sure that these vipers don't explode midair. Jam it, Chloe. There's no time. Um <laughs> Do you think Jammer has like a catchphrase like, oh, that's not jamming. No, I think it's oh jam it. Like I think that's what <laughs> yeah. I would say if I'm Jammer. Oh, uh, uh, if only. And that's the reason why Jammer was like locked in this small arms locker for a while. It's not because it was for his safety. It's like we hate his freaking catchphrase. He's been saying jam it for the past six months yeah they unlock him from the locker he just like claps his hands like ah it looks like somebody finally broke the jam <laughs> yeah, uh, okay <laughs> he's my new favorite character that jammer is this like urkel like character that was only brought into Battlestar galactica to try out three or four different catchphrases <laughs> yeah yeah that's why Kara's like i have some jam back at the house like i've got like this jam that jammer made for me it was a gag gift all uh, right uh lee you gotta say i i gotta act scared to draw the silos to me i guess i could jam it up <laughs> i could jam it up uh all right so uh welcome to the space jam uh <laughs> as jammers here it's your chance to your dance uh so they distribute all of these like cool explosive rounds but they don't have a lot of them uh they just have a few they have six i love how lee is like sweet so i'll take the reload uh he is not like uh you know trying to like make this a vote or a democracy nope. like he's just making the cause like yeah for sure i'm the one who needs the reload well also because there's another deleted scene actually where we'll get to the scene where ty ends up getting apollo on the phone and this is going to inform the last interaction they have in this episode ty's actually gonna like tell apollo to stand down he says oh hey i know you're with a bunch of cadets right now but like technically i'm gonna remove you of service because everything that happened in the finale so you're of no authority here so like Lee is very much on his own. So he has every right to like claim sovereignty and be like, 
rules be damned, this is my group right now. This is my own country, and I'm the dictator. Yes, that's correct. Uh, so he's gonna he's gonna take charge here. Um, Rosalind's group they're heading to sick uh, sick bay. This is where they run into D, mm-hmm. who seems to have uh, had a. She's either in shock or then Rosalind says it's probably or shot a, uh, or shot. Not shot, just shocked. Uh, thinks that she's probably had a concussion of some kind. Um, Roslyn uh, tells Billy to call her by her rank. Petty Officer Duella. Oh, I love that movie. It's aged a little weirdly with the Army Hammer stuff, but I did enjoy it. <laughs> call me by my rank. Uh, Petty Officer Duala. Uh, eat a peach. Uh, and so she's able to get out of it. She's shaken free. Uh, and Roslyn is now concerned because they need to get to the sick bay, but there are a whole mess of Cylons between them and the sick bay. And Venner's all freaked out. And Roslyn tells Venner, like, Try to think about not getting like annihilated by Cylon bullets and find another way to get us to where we need to go. He's like, yeah, the long route. She's like, good, cool, let's go. Uh, so Rosalind also taking charge of her little fiefdom here. Yeah, again, she's really great at having everyone snap out of it multiple times. Like, I know that there have been so many accusations levied against her by warring parties about the fact that she is not fit to be in this position. But no matter what, Laura Roslin is so good in a crisis. She is so good at seeing a problem, keeping a cool head, and just making a decision. And sometimes the only decision that needs to be made is one in general. And I wonder if that's also like becoming of a school teacher as well, that you face so many problems in the day-to-day and putting out so many fires that she she almost is her own auxiliary fire control, Josh, in the ability to like extinguish flames, come up with solutions, and almost like, instinctually have the interpersonal abilities to like bring people back from the brink of emotional exhaustion. Yes, that's right. Um, All right. At the CIC, Gata gets a report that Cylons are heading for auxiliary fire control. They've been dealt with. Some are down. There's one with no legs, but it's still shooting. Um, Master at arms, Hadrian. Uh, Hadrian has a unit that is cut off due to the Cylons cutting through the hull of the ship. Ty exclaims there's nothing left between the other Cylon unit and the decompression safety. So we are in big doo-doo. Um, yeah, a Hadrian reference. We have not seen her since you know, she was unceremoniously shoved off during the whole tribunal. I think that that's the last we hear of Hadrian. I think that oh. that's what we had said last time. It's like Hadrian wasn't going to be a thing anymore. But I think that I'd read that like she's referenced one more time. I think this is the one more time she's referenced. Is so my... is the implication mm-hmm. that like uh, when Ty says there's nothing between the Cylons and auxiliary fire control, that that was a soon to be surety that Hadrian and her coterie went down? I think we could say that uh, Hadrian, much like uh, Igby, went down. Uh, yes. Uh, so we have lost Hadrian. Uh, uh, Ty is going to, uh, re- he's like kind of tweaking out right now. It's been a tough day for Ty. Um, good news. We got Jammer in the house. Uh, Jammer's. Oh, get- don't worry. I'll get us out of this jam. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jammer- Imagine the Bear McCreary, like rock and roll sting, like Saved by the Bell. <laughs> uh, man. So I'm in the middle of watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer for the very first time. Mike, have you ever watched it before or no? So I've watched the first, I think, three seasons. Okay, yeah. Where uh, are you right now? So I'm in. I'm very close to the end of season four, and there's this. Okay, great... yeah. So so I got to the Kendra arc. Sure. Yeah. So there's this really great episode in season four. At least I loved it. Uh, where like everybody in Sunnydale is now acting as if this character named Jonathan, played by the great Danny Strong, uh, is like all of the sudden like the core member of the group and the coolest person <laughs> on the planet. Uh, and it's like due to like some sort of sorcery nonsense. And I'm just imagining like that happening with Jammer now on yeah. Battlestar Galactica. 
What uh, if Jammer is like the lost Adama son? Oh my God, that would be incredible. Uh, so, uh, or the son that Adama never had but always wanted. Like, yeah. there's a lot of routes to take Jammer. Hey, uh, I got some news for you, Adama. Remember when you jammed it in some lady decades ago? Oh, jeez. Well, your jam made this jam. Yeah. Uh, man, okay. Uh, Jammer gets uh, Apollo uh, a phone call with Ty. Ty sends him in the right right direction to deal with these final Cylons. So the, Cy the Cylons are really doing terribly even up to this point. Uh, like we're having casualties as well, but the Cylons should have been able to just like cakewalk this thing. Well, that's the thing is that at the end of the day, yes, this is incredibly dangerous, but I will say that something that does like dull the teeth a little bit on this episode is that a, we knew that a lot of our like big named characters were not going to go down. Like even when the Cylon comes around the corner on Billy, on D, on Roslyn, I didn't think that any of them would truly die. I didn't think that Lee would die. Also, at the same time, there wound up being what like eight of them total, and it's like yeah, once they were able to get their wits about them and they got enough explosive charges, they were able to get a good lick into all of them. Yes. Uh. So. Rosalind's group, they reach the sick bay, uh, or they're close enough to the sick bay. While they're on the way, this is when D is like, hey, Billy, can I uh, just like check something for you? The safety is not on on his gun that is tucked into his trousers. This is an all-time bad episode for Billy. Like, I'm giving this dude an LVP point. This guy just takes L's upon L's, uh, you know, considering that he doesn't shoot his dick off here, literally, but he does metaphorically later when he does take the gun out, is about to, like, load it up and then accidentally fires a bullet and, like, draws the Cylons to him and almost winds up dead and killing D and his boss because of it. Like, Billy is, I think, the way Jammer sees himself in real life. Yes, I think that that's probably correct. Uh, so uh, we're going to have, um, they're trying to figure out how to get through. There's like sort of a convergence of the groups. Yeah, this, this is very much like a, clearly a raising of tension, right? That because there's a lack of communication, we find out that both the Lee party and the Roslyn party are both encroaching on the same place in aft gamut control because it turns out that Roslyn can get another dead end. And so we're like, oh no, what's going to happen right. now? But things seem okay. It looks dicey for a second, but then the party of five is able to, uh, much like the Wednesday night. Everybody night wants to live. Yeah. Yeah, they, t they take down the Cylons like Party of Five took over that time slot back in the day. That's correct. Uh, so they're able to take them down. Uh, Jammer's really psyched about how well they're able to hold up against the Cylons. Uh, this is after Apollo has told him, sometimes, Jammer, you need to roll the hard six. And Jammer's, Jammer's like, like, I have no idea what that means. He says, well, my dad used to say that, too. Wait a minute. Do we have the same dad? Hey, do you have the same dad? Oh, uh, man, I just jammed my trousers. <laughs> dad? Uh, and D is going to show Billy how to unlock the safety, but then he accidentally fires. So Billy, you know, Billy, like, holding it together in a lot of ways throughout this episode. But Billy is the reason why some people are getting killed right now. Yeah, Billy is really, again, besides the Cylons, the biggest L in this episode. It makes sense <laughs> uh -huh. there are two in his name, but it does lead to the most badass moment of the episode where the lone remaining Cylon tries to make a jump, tries to leap over the uh, civilians, sorry, over the military to get to auxiliary fire control like they're at the one yard line. And here comes defender Leah Dama blowing his head up like it's the 4th of July. Yeah, uh, so they're able to take these things down. Two people die. 
but you know, such is life, Mike, I guess. I don't know. Rosalind get Rosalind got shot through the jacket and the corporal's like, wow, now there are two things that are holy about you. Yeah. And now Angelina doesn't want that jacket yeah. because there's holes in it. Yeah, exactly. Like uh she doesn't have the she doesn't have that sewing kit. Maybe yeah. Chris, maybe if Corporal Crystal was there. That would be something. Up. That'd be something. Um all right, so we end up going to sick bay. Uh D is there. She uh, kisses Billy and tells him to close the curtains. Yeah, forget what I said and listen to what I'm saying. And by saying, I mean doing something else with my mouth. Blah, 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 blah. They just and go I, make out town. And I did think there was a cute little line that Billy says, like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. Can you tell me one more time? They're they're starting they're to warm cute, on me. They're cute, right? They're cute. They're starting to warm on me a little bit. I initially was very cold on them because, again, the way that Because they... you live in the Valley of Darkness. Exactly. I'm just Got so it. reticent to love. Uh, yes. But the way that they came together initially was so sudden. Remember, it was in the miniseries where she just like randomly yeah. pulls him into a hallway and kisses him and then they were kind of doing this odd dance where it felt like they jumped to this relationship and like we didn't really know anything about them or how they felt about each other also remember that like billy forced Dewala to go onto the prison ship and then they all got taken because of it so like billy has really done a lot of oopsies in this courtship but like they're in a better spot now. I think this is probably one of the most defining episodes for their relationship. And because we got so much filled in about them in this episode, despite, again, how much of a doofus Billy was, I'm warming up to them. Yeah. Um, still at sickbay, uh, we've got uh, we've got everyone surrounding Bill Adama, who is completely out for two episodes in a row yeah. now, with the exception of a vision sequence. I, I don't know how we don't have him out for a good while now, because... The big G, uh, the show as well, like they don't really do huge time jumps. They're not skipping ahead for like three to four weeks at a time. Even that, I would imagine that it takes a long time for a man of his age to get through this. He still has yet to make a full recovery. He's still in critical care. So unless we see a major time jump at this point, I don't know if we're going to see him for, I'll say like the first third of the season. There's 20 episodes in this season, right? So like through episode seven, I don't think we're getting Bill Adama off that table. Okay. Well, uh, I hope the team behind the curtain has uh, logged that down. Um, I'm riding okay. a high right now. I got my, I got my one in just under the wire. I think That's unfortunately right. the Lee Starbuck bet is going to falter because they're so separated at this moment. So let me replace it with another one. But yeah, barring any sort of like, Rosalind touches him with her prophetized hands and he comes back to life. I don't know how this man could, in a show that is all about dark, gritty realism, pretty much, how he could realistically heal and be up and about through the first third of the season. It has to be through what we're going to talk about in the COBOL stuff with like him existing in an illusory state. Yes. Okay. So we'll see how that goes. For now, uh, Apollo is going to give some shit to Ty as yes. Ty, as Ty is, Kim Queen. Ty is going to have Rosalind put back in her cell. Rosalind's the one who says, uh, Colonel Ty, I assume my cell is waiting for me. He's like, you're fracking right. And so she's going to go back to her prison cell. Um, and then he really goes off on Lee. It's like, I can't believe you chose her over the old man. You wouldn't be able to get me to do that with a gun to my head. And you put one to my head. Uh, and Apollo gives it back to him where he says, I'm not fit to wear the uniform, maybe, but neither of you. And this isn't our ship. It's Adama's. And when he wakes up, he'll decide to do with, uh, what to do with both of us. And then I do think there's this great line from Ty. Thank the gods I didn't have kids. <laughs> yeah, it's a good thing because I will say we were so up 
on tie, sure. high on yeah. tie yeah, at yeah, the yeah. at the end of episode one. Definitely more down in episode two. I don't think he's necessarily in the doldrums, but this is not the look. Well, he, under- doesn't have, he doesn't have a spectacular episode because so many other characters have so much else to do, and he's kind of just in the CIC. And then when these people who we've watched take down the Cylons and like team together to get that done throughout the episode come back and are just thrown back in jail afterwards, it feels bad. Well, especially because like here's a guy who kind of learned his lesson last episode of like, you don't have to do everything that Adama would do. You have your own judgment to go off of. And he saves the day in that respect. And then here he is being like, well, technically because of what Adama did before he got shot, we have to follow this protocol. And I think there's also a bit of hypocrisy exacted here. He's on his high horse on hypocrisy Hill as Lee points out of like, yeah, you know what? Listen, denigrate my entire military career. If you want to though, again, I think that's a bit jumping to conclusions, but like, Dude, have you looked in the mirror lately? And I think maybe this is burgeoned by getting to watch the flashbacks in full from last week. But like, I'm sure Lee has heard the stories of Ty beating people to near death in bars when he was barred from the military. And the fact that he was essentially brought back into standing because he had an in with Adama. What leg does Ty have to stand on as well, given his own past behavior? In fact, his own past behavior is more damning than Lee's from a certain perspective in terms of body of work. And so I think, listen, maybe it's just because like Lee Adama is back, in my opinion, in so many ways after a few episodes off. But I just feel like Lee gave the perfect argument in the moment, which is Ty coming through being like, you did the worst thing possible. B5-0-5, yes. Right, yeah, and, you're, yeah. and your entire military history should just be spat upon and burned. And Lee's like, are you any better right now? You're the one of all people to tell me that I made a mockery of this uniform? Really, you? And let's even disregard your past. Hey, remember when under your watch, we nearly lost the entire fracking fleet? That was like six hours ago, and it was your fault. You even took the blame for it. And so I do think it's an interesting sort of like repudiation of the Thai character by the end of these couple of episodes that like, he was able to clean up his mess with aplomb last episode. And I think he did a good job in pulling on those flashbacks to help lead people to where they needed to go. But then he kind of like blows it all up by again, just having this hoity toitiness around Leah Dama to try to be like, I'm still above you. And Lee's like, no, we're kind of on the same level right now. Let me just offer this as a counterpoint. Um, not 24 hours earlier, Leah Dama pulled a gun on Colonel Ty and put it to his head. I mean, yeah, sure. But I don't know if I jumped to conclusion. I don't know that I forgive that person within 24 hours. I mean, he doesn't need to forgive him, but I don't know yeah. if he needs to go so far as to say, like, uh, you're a disgrace to your father. Call- yeah. And in the deleted scenes, he calls him, like, uh, a disappointment to his whole life. It's <laughs> a little harsh. Yeah, that's that's living in the Valley of Darkness, my friend. Like, that's something I tell myself oh, in my yeah. lowest moments. Yeah, like, that is... Ty lives there. Ty yeah, lives that, there. that's, like, really hitting a low blow. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Um, all right, well, let us go uh, below. Low below the big G and down to Kobol uh, to continue that storyline. And this is where we get some Edward James almost action. Bill Adama is in Baltar's dream. He is on COBOL with Gaius Baltar. 
He comes to see the baby uh, that Baltar is holding. You have uh, to see the baby. I want to see the baby. Uh, so Adama takes the baby. Oh, man. <laughs> Edward James almost in that role in The yeah, Mandalorian would have been. been fantastic. Yeah, as, much as, I love been. Vern, as much as I love Werner Herzog, that would have been pretty incredible. Yeah, but I don't want to live in the world where Werner Herzog wasn't in Star Wars. That's one of the best True. things that's ever happened to any of us. Um, so Imagine gonna... Bill Adama and Jack Black's role in The Mandalorian. With pretty, Lizzo. Good. pretty good. Pretty good. Oh, my uh, Lizzo, my he... wife. <laughs> he takes the baby from Baltar. He says, is this the shape of things to come? And Baltar says it is. And uh, like dream Adama at the very least, Mike, consistent with real Adama. He's like, cool. So I'm just going to drown the toaster then. Uh, <laughs> and he takes the baby to the water and drowns it. Yeah, and so Six is going to use this as an allegory when Baltar wakes up to say like, don't you see? This is what humanity will do to you to us, to our children, you must divest everything you have, all the connections you have to these walking, breathing, uh, you know, sinners, essentially. And you must come with us for that is the way. Yeah, uh, basically, like, Adam is going to kill our baby uh, <laughs> if you let him. Uh, and so we can't let him. Uh, you got to run away. Uh, and so Baltar is being fed this uh, line of, uh, of thinking of, like, the humans are bad. We are the best. Think about it. Think yeah. about it. And so that is burgeoned by the fact that we are going to bring up. Now, this was something we saw in the deleted scenes in the last episode, but was only seen in the quote unquote real cut in this episode where Baltar wakes up. Essentially, let's use another lost analogy here in the pit, in the pit of all the uh, the Dharma workers, right? He's surrounded by skeletons. And Six is going to say, that these are the remnants of human sacrifice, that the scriptures paint this sort of Eden-esque tale of Kobol as this paradise where the gods and the humans existed side by side until some gods got greedy, and then they left Kobol and went to go found the 13 colonies. But Six insists that, like, yeah, it did happen for a brief portion of time, but then you humans, your true nature asserted itself. All you can do is kill, kill, kill. And as a result, so many people lost their lives and paradise fell. Yes. Uh, so lots to consider here and what's going on. Um, Callie and Chief, uh, they're on their way back with the med kit. Uh, Callie calls Chief a mother fracker. Uh, yeah, I did like her sort of freak out here that, again, this is an episode of like, almost saying the right thing to bring someone out of yeah. a stupor that I don't think Kelly intentionally wanted to make. <laughs> Imagine Chief President Raza like, call her a mother fracker. That'll break her out of her shock. Yeah, but at this moment, it's able to definitely dissolve the tension as to everything that happened with Tarn for like a brief for second, a second before they bring back the med kit. And this medic gives like the most <laughs> vague news ever of like, I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. Yeah. Sosinus. So say we all. We <laughs> yeah. lose Sosinus here, Mike, as they bring the med kit back. He's not going to make it. Uh, it's no good. Uh, they um, they leave it. Uh, Crashdown leaves it to Chief to uh, take Sosinus out, basically. To Which is like him. a little bit better for Crashdown. Still not a great episode, considering that like uh, he still has a bit of a short fuse which is a bit understandable given that, again, they are still hours from, like, this huge crash site, yeah. and they be he believes that they're being chased by Cylons, especially when Tyrrell comes in and, like, tells him everything that happened with Tarn. But, oh, man, I, I really feel for Chief here. We talked about this last episode, about the unique position that Chief's in, that he is clearly the one that has, like, 
made the most bonds with his staff about the fact that he is the highest sort of unranked officer that is in BSG as well on the big G. So there's also this weird jockeying for a position. And so now like when he pleadingly looks to crash down and like crash down has to mutely tell him, I think there's some understanding there. I don't think crash down is like as emotionless as he has been the past couple of episodes by telling Tyrrell, like it's your guy. But God, Tyrrell having to do the old yeller, essentially, to Sasinus here is so, so rough. Yeah. Uh, eulogy for Sasinus. I mean, he's a bit of a nothing burger character. For sure. When Sasinus's name came up in season one and I couldn't even pronounce it, I was like, damn, okay, well, I've given one thing away. Sasinus is just like not really on the show. Yeah, uh, he, was more so, he, he, he was more so like a plot point in a uniform yes. than he was an actual character. He was the one to take the fall for Chief during that tribunal with Hadrian. He's the one that serves as like, oh my God, this was a loss that could have been prevented for multiple reasons as a result of the, them getting fired down upon in COBOL. And I think it also serves as like a, a beat in the chief storyline, which I'm happy about. Again, I talked about this in season one. I felt like outside of the small stuff with Boomer, we really weren't getting a lot from this character. And so if it's a necessity to like allow us to see this actor more and get more dimensions to his performance, I'm happy for it. And I think the actor does a fine scene of doing the tropey war, you know, pop culture pastiche of like, I'm the young kid that's not going to make it. So you just have to come for me in my dying moments. But outside of that, yeah, I don't really have any feelings towards the sinus. Let's go to Caprica, Mike Bloom, because for the first time in a long time, and like, I think only the second time, really, you enjoyed the Caprica storyline this week. And I didn't initially because Starbuck was being an asshole. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it's Hilo and Starbuck. Wow, you're taking Hilo's side uh, over Starbuck. Look at you recognizing Hilo's value over Kara Thrace. I mean, listen, it was a game of inches. Well, it's because, like, Starbuck is on her high horse as well, a la yeah. Ty, in this initial scene when they're walking through the streets, right? Where I think she's doing a lot of, and I understand her perspective because, as she talked about last time, bitch took my ride, and it's like, yep. well, if I had killed Shafrika, then none of this would have happened. And so... She's also, though, kind of like digging into Hilo, getting tricked by Shaprika in kind of a mean, personal way. And like, I don't disparage Hilo whatsoever for kind of blowing up on her and being like, listen, dude, anything you're levying against me, I've been levying against myself for being tricked for months yes. that I was in love with a Cylon at this yes. point. Apologies that my feelings are a bit confusing in the moment. Anything you have to say to me, I have been saying to myself, for the past 12 hours. And also, what leg do you have to stand on, Baltar Banger? Okay? Right. Listen, expressly against my words, Carathrace, you went and did that to that man. So listen, don't put yourself on this high ground right now. But that gets a sway. I have the high ground. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, listen, it's relatively level on that lava planet. Uh, but that does get assuaged to me once they both kind of settle down from that tension when we do get settled into Starbucks old place and we really get a perspective into Kara Thrace that as we mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, we have never seen before. Um, let me ask you how you're feeling about Hilo right now. When you look at Hilo, what do you think here in season two? Uh, that toast that's in the back of that Starbucks that hasn't been had jammer spread on him yet. I mean, there's like some needle moving 
there, but I feel like there was some needle moving at the end of season one. I don't feel any differently about him in this episode and these past two episodes versus, than I, then. Yeah. versus then. I felt like I was gaining some like just general, I don't know, emotions towards the character one way or the other, as opposed to the first three quarters of the season where I thought he was just like bland, almost in a Sasinus like way. Like he was there as a plot point more than being a character. And it didn't help that he was in a not particularly appealing plot. Here, there is some pathos that is to be gained, some complications of the fact of like him having to come to terms with the fact that he was tricked, that he was in love with the Cylon. Now the Cylon is pregnant with his child, the complicated emotions involved therein. But like we got such a nice expo dump of Starbucks stuff in this episode, and we still know nothing about Hilo. We yeah. know like that he had a crush on Chaprica. And that's it. So I am still leaning towards the go ahead, girl, give us nothing on Hilo. The needle is being nudged, but it's going to take a bit more of just general delving into this character. And maybe Starbucks can bring that out of him. I really love when we go to Starbucks place. We go to Starbucks place and we really, I do feel like get some great insight into Kara Thrace and what her life was like before the whole events of Battlestar Galactica took place. She has like this very, like the chaotic insides of her mind are splashed all over the walls, right? Like yeah. she's like painting, like this like esoteric artsy stuff, pedestrian to some people. <laughs> um, Just like these like really colorful displays on the wall. She's like very like Kelvin in of her i was uh, gonna say where's the bleach you know uh living off of uh dried noodles and nothing else uh and she's uh gonna put on this music this really i thought like a very beautiful haunting oh, piano i loved that piano music i we didn't mention it but uh, I thought Bear Mercury was on fire, auxiliary fire control in this episode. Between the music that played during the dream sequence, I thought was so good. It was like this tribalistic but almost celebratory music, which was very pervasive up against this like very dark ritual of Adama drowning this baby. And then, yeah, the piano music, I think, was absolutely beautiful that Starbuck ends, in, ends up putting on here. Because, again, it feels so anti the character we think of her as more of a rock and roll person i would imagine if she's a type of music so for her to put on this sort of like contemplative slow piano stuff in the background to help her settle down is a brand new side of this character yeah uh i think it's a really really cool look for starbuck and i think i'm gonna end up giving her an mvp point this week because i think she is such an infusion for the caprica storyline and it starts right here that like the caprica storyline takes on Starbucks personality. Uh, and when Starbucks shows up into a room, she tends to own it for better and for worse. Uh, and so will this always be a great ride as long as Starbucks is on Caprica? I'm not saying necessarily, but I think like her edge, the like the very like Starbuckiness of Starbucks is always so evident. And having it here is just such a different energy than we've gotten in the Hilo storyline. And what I actually love about it is she takes on an amount of energy that allows Hilo to just like sit back on the couch and basically nod off. Hilo's Literally, been like, yeah. Yeah, he's been like, I've been holding the entire weight of a whole section of this show for a season and change. Mike Bloom doesn't like me. There are people <laughs> who don't like me. Can you just take over for a while, Kara? She's like, I got this. I'll, I'll, ma I'll mainline Caprica. Uh, you just become support. 
And that's how we'll do this for a little while. Uh, so I love the switch. I think it's really good. And I think that this scene specifically, the piano, her talking about her father, all of this stuff uh, works exceedingly well for me. Can we talk about a few details here? Did you yes. read some of the stuff that was painted behind Kara? There's one particular wall, but there's actually words painted on it. And I'm assuming it's poetry or lyrics of some sort. Mm. Uh, did you catch the words? So I tried to read some of it because the top is cut off. But from what I was able to glean, with every delicious sip, I drink away the night, stroking my hair to the beat of his heart, watching a boy turn into a man. Is Starbuck the original DJ Drinks on Me? Uh, could be. Uh, could we do that to the beat of DJ Drinks on Me? Repeat the lyrics for me real quick. With every delicious sip, I drink away the night, stroking my hair to the beat of his heart, watching a boy turn into a man. Yeah, uh, I was wondering, like, what is this? Because I don't really remember those. Uh, and you Google those words, and it is called Starbucks Poem. Okay, so I guess... She's showing a lot of artistic sides to her as well. And what I do think is so interesting is that it's not that Starbuck is a woman of few words, but I would say if you did a top five of like... Who's who, the, who are the beat poets of yeah, Battlestar or, or Galactica? Like who, who are the most wordy or like uses their words as weapons the most out of characters in BSG? I don't think Starbuck's ranking that highly. If no. she does, she's using them to like insult people or herself. But between that and this... One quote that I think really gives away so much of her character, which is when she sits back, she mentions like, yeah, this place is a little bit of a shithole. And after the attack on Caprica, I didn't think I'd never, I don't think I'd miss any of this. Everyone I know is fighting to get back what they had. I'm fighting because I don't know how to do anything else. And I think that's such an interesting POV because everyone I know is fighting to get back what they had is something we've been talking about sort of tongue in cheek from like the economical perspective, right? Of like Rosalind trying to bring capitalism back to the fleet. But this idea of people striving for a sense of normalcy, but then you sort of have that Zarek side of things, the chaotic people who are like, well, the world we had before this wasn't great for me. So why would I want that in the first place? And it seems like Starbuck is perhaps a bit more chaotic good than chaotic evil from that perspective. And that like, listen, I don't really want to go back to all this. I'm just going to fight because I don't know how to do anything yeah. else in yeah. that moment. And I think it's such a totally scans with her character. Someone that like, I think found her way into the military because I would imagine we haven't heard this like first and foremost. I know that it says in a deleted scene, like, she is a military brat. I think her mom uh, went to a lot of military bases and so she moved around a lot. But I would also imagine for her, it's like this, well, I need to run away from my life at this point. Might as well join the army. Might as well fly away to the stars. And then she sort of found herself there. And I love this beautiful moment of reflection for her to just sit back quite literally and like take everything in and be like, yeah, I did not realize I would miss any of this whatsoever. And not to say that I do, but it's almost like made my purpose that much clearer. Now, going back to the poetry, that to me magnifies what we had kind of seen from the Lee Starbuck dynamic towards the end of season one, which is I do think Starbuck is a romantic. Mm. I think as much as she puts up this facade of, again, being this sort of like feisty person who puts up walls and doesn't want to let anyone in. We, we saw this with Zach. I think she is capable of truly loving someone with every ounce of her being. And I think that poetry reflects it. I think she's truly 
writing from the heart there if this poem is indeed hers um yeah i think that it is hers uh and i think that it is like it because she's not really like explaining any of this stuff with her words but you're seeing her art uh which is an expression of herself for yourself you get to see it and interpret it in your own way and then you get to map that onto the words that she does say in this room but also just all of the words she's ever said on this show and the actions that she's made on this show and i think I think Battlestar Galactica up to this point certainly has done a really good job of illustrating the complexity of Kara. Uh, and I 100%, think like, yeah. this scene really distills it down in a new way. Uh, that's quite exciting, which is why she's a very easy MVP for me uh, in, in this episode. Um, let's do the other MVPs really quickly, Mike. Uh, I have three this week. You've got two. Who are you giving yours to? I mean... Listen, Liadama is back in form. You know I gotta celebrate that. This dude kicks so much butt. Turns out you just need to spring Liadama from his cell and he's able to do great things, especially in his father's absence. I think as much as Ty might deride everything that Liadama represents and the uniform that he's a part of, like, I kind of think he did his dad proud in this episode to the point that he even quoted rolling the hard six. Like, I think there are flashes of an even younger than the mustache William Adama in Lee Adama in this episode, considering how much he was able to command his like lowly group of people that were all scared shitless, that were all cadets and jammer and was able to like blow up two Cylons and stop them from taking over the ship. Lee Adama kicks so much ass in this episode in so many ways. And he ends the episode in arguably the highest position by absolutely handing it to Colonel Ty. Yeah, he does. Uh, of course, Lee is getting an MVP point from me as well. He's he's really uh, elite Adama in this episode. Uh, it's great to see him back in action. Hard to uh, push back against a single thing he does in this one, uh, including uh, keeping that reload ammo for himself. Uh, great call. Um, I'll just finish this out because we're still on the big G. Rosalind gets my final MVP point. Yes. I think he really shows up in this one in a really good way. Uh, she's able to convince the guy, like, get me out of here. And then she's even able to, like, kind of, like, lead him and everybody else to relative safety in a very unsafe situation. Uh, I think Rosalind, uh, courage under fire in a in a major way. Listen, I would give it to her alone for convincing someone to let her out of jail. Yes, like, that's that pretty is- good. A pretty damn good thing. Yes, pretty, pretty good. Um, Your final MVP point, Mike. Yeah, so you hit him up last week. Well, let's make it two for two across two episodes. It goes to Tyrrell here. Now, this is more of like a sympathy MVP point, considering what he has to do to Sasinus, that initially he does object to the notion, but like once it's become abundantly clear, there's nothing they can do. Even though, again, the medic provides no explanation she just says, like, he's too far gone. Like, I would have loved some sort of, even if it's like a Grey's Anatomy throwaway line of, like, there's too much fluid in his lungs. It's just odd. I would be raging as well as Tyrrell if I came back and she's like, sorry. Okay, well, what happened? I don't know, but we can't do anything. Like, come right. on, you're a medic. Give me something here. But the fact that he does immediately take up the job and does it in, like, a beautiful way to send off someone that obviously meant a lot to him to the point that he sprung him from the brig to bring on this journey. Yes, it was unfortunately unintentionally signing his death warrant, but signing his death warrant. Yeah. So signing exactly. But at the same time, I had a lot of empathy for chief in this episode. And so I'm going to give him a point because of that. 
My LVP points this week are easy. Uh, we have two named characters who die, Flyboy and Sosinus. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Uh, and maybe they also, as sort of a, an overall representation of like what they are and who they are more so as symbols than people. Yes. Uh, so I think that that counts. I think we can have that be representative. And I'm going to hit instead characters that do not die, but their credibility certainly did. So I mentioned this before. Billy, not on the street, but basically his <laughs> uh, his reputation is at this point from the yeah. very beginning where D wants nothing to do with him, to him nearly shooting little Billy off, to then alerting the Cylons to his presence. As a result, like he gets a kiss at the end of the day, but still Billy is showing that at times he is in very much over his very tall head. Similarly, one to Colonel Ty. I don't think you brought up a good point as to like the headspace that Ty finds himself in with Lee. But I think, A, the immense amount of dressing down onto Lee Adama was unnecessary and, in fact, is even worse in the deleted scenes. And, B, he gets that thrown right back at him immediately. Yeah. And the fact that he gets pwned pretty badly at the end of this episode earns an LVP for me to, I think, unfortunately, kind of reduce the acclaim we gave him last episode. Final one, going to the Cylons. Come on! Don't dust off the old chestnut you had from decades ago that still didn't work and expected it to work again. Yep, yep. That is the literal definition of insanity. Yeah, well, I guess the Cylons are insane because they tried it again. Uh, yeah, I think a well-earned LVP point for the Cylons. And as we're always tracking the Cylons versus the fleet, who won? Mike, before we came on the podcast, we talked this through very quickly. And you were like, yeah, this uh, two-part premiere really nooches out. Uh, the Cylons win pretty handily in the official season two premiere. But here, if you're considering Valley of Darkness part two, uh, the fleet like is able to really get their shit together against Cylons on their ship. And this should not be like the like, yes, it's like home field advantage to a degree. But these aren't like supremely well-trained fighters. The Marines are pretty good, but like they're not like a huge army of people against this squad of Cylons. And these are robots meant for killing this should be like their thing uh and they just get they get knocked they get wrecked pretty bad yeah that's the thing like they do catch the fleet flat-footed fleet-footed a bit in the beginning but once the fleet is able to rally to your point they're kevin McAllister, and yeah. these are the wet bandits getting paint cans swung into them and touching hot doorknobs and so they're gonna end up with the l here and i really like this as well as a representation of again the back and forth that comes with this war effort. We talked about this last season, how initially the fleet was really taking it episode by episode. And then the Cylons took over to kind of tie it up, Colonel tied up. And so I like that kind of represented in these two episodes that the first episode, the fleet is able to escape a seemingly inescapable situation, Yes. but then the Cylons are able to get an advantage over them, but then the fleet are able to kind of neutralize it. And so I'm intrigued to see where we go after this, but I do like this as, again, a nice one-two punch as to the power that can exist in both sides. All right, Mike, should we uh, rate this episode of Battlestar Galactica? Absolutely. All right. Of course, you can send your scores in down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. That's postshowrecaps.com uh, if you want to send in your scores for any single one of these episodes of Battlestar Galactica on a scale from 0 to 4.2. Uh, this is our second episode to rank here in Season 2. Last week, I gave a 3.9. 
to scattered, feeling like we still got room to grow here in season two. I feel very similarly about Valley of Darkness. It's a little bit more of like the action movie episode, uh, like yes. the action movie component of this two-part premiere. So I think that the first part is a little more interesting to me, ultimately. I like Valley of Darkness quite a bit. I'm giving it a 3.9, uh, 3.8 rather, which I think is a, still a really good score, but just a, a hair below scattered for me. I still think we're cooking with gas, um, but you know, I think we're just sort of hovering the same quality level, slightly lower for me in the second episode of season two, which I know is the opposite of how you feel. Yeah, I'm going to go slightly higher here. And for a second, and maybe I will be pressed to do this as the season goes along, I was initially going to put it at a flat four, because again, I really enjoyed all this. There's not a lot that I didn't enjoy. I did knock it down like a tenth of a point because I was comparing this a bit to Hand to God, which I think is a similar like action-packed episode that has this big battle and big climactic sequence. But where I think Hand to God has the upper hand when it comes to comparing to Valley of Darkness is I feel like outside of the Starbucks scene, there wasn't a lot of like character stuff in this episode it really felt like we weren't particularly deep diving into any of the other characters motives it was more so just like people moving forward having to get things done and i understand having to serve that purpose given again like don't stop down in monologue when there are fracking cylons on the ship but hand to god the reason why it's such a good episode is because it really was able to thread that needle of like okay we have this big climactic shootout sequence but then also there are big moments for both adamas for starbuck for Roslyn, for Baltar, etc. And we didn't necessarily get that in this episode. That being said, I will again say I like this episode more than Scattered. As much as Scattered was a better episode for Colonel Ty, I really did like getting to see Lee and Roslyn back in action that they're not behind bars. I thought the tenseness, despite the fact that I knew none of those characters would die, of the situation was very present. And I did really enjoy the stuff on Caprica and Cobalt proper. And I do feel like since I've been bumping down episodes for having not-so-good subplots in the past, I think it's only natural that I bump up episodes that have had good subplots. Yes, I think that that's totally fair. Uh, I love the reasoning. Um, I think we're in a really good spot here with Season 2. I, I think I'd said this a few episodes back, that Battlestar Galactica is, like, of a quality level. Like, there are a mm -hmm. couple of moments where, like, it dips, but not a lot. Like, by and large, we're, like, going to be living in this general space for the whole show at the Ooh, worst. Is general space the guy on that DVD cover? <laughs> that's, it. that's I think that could be. Hello, I I'm be. general space. Yes, is that your current leading theory? Yes, I think that a man's going to show up from the fleet. He was found on a space stage. You're like, hello, allow me to introduce myself. I'm... <laughs> general space and you're gonna I have always, to get off of my ship i always appreciate the update on dvd cover guy um let's close out before we frack off here mike anything from the deleted scenes that we haven't talked about that you want to call out yeah so i'll go into a couple of things here so luckily a lot of ellen tie content has been shunted off to the deleted scenes unfortunately they do us the disservice of still keeping her around the show but she really has been relegated mostly to deleted scenes. In this episode, uh, Ty is going to call her and say, hey, I have a gun in our bedroom. Make sure to arm yourself. Apparently, she and her sisters learned how to do this by shooting groundhogs off their front porch, <laughs> okay. which is like, on the one hand, Luke Skywalker picking off romp womp rats. On the other hand, like, of course, Ellen Ty exacts animal cruelty. Right. Like shooting poor defenseless groundhogs. It only makes sense that the worst character on this show would delight in doing to that. 
I mentioned before that uh, Ty and Apollo's conversation, we see a much longer version of it when they're on the phone where Ty is going to say like, hey, please pass the phone off to one of the cadets. I'm relieving you of command. Apollo's going to laugh in his face. And this is where Ty tells him, you've been a disappointment in your whole life and I need someone I can count on. <laughs> yeah. Apollo's basically going to say, nah. Wow. And Ty says, okay, I'll take a chance on you. And then goes on to inform him of the plan. The other big thing we get is, it's very brief, but down on COBOL, number six reveals a key piece of information that I think is you could take with a grain of salt like you do all things with number six. She continues to tell Baltar to stop attaching himself from the humans. This is in the wake of like Sasinus dying or having just died. And she reveals no one in the fleet will survive to see Earth, apparently except for him. So we had the prophecy beforehand of Rosalind is going to be this great right. leader who will not live to see the fleet make it to Earth. And now Six is providing either a new piece of the puzzle or a piece from a completely different puzzle that apparently Baltar is the designated survivor and will be the lone human to survive reaching Earth. What do you think about this? It's not in the episode itself, so it's technically not canonical, but it was on the mind of the show to the point that they filmed a scene about it. Yeah, I mean, the fact that it doesn't make it to the main story makes me feel like, okay, maybe it is a bit more bullshitting. Or it could be this sort of, like, ironic statement, right? Almost like uh, a Twilight Zone-esque twist of... Oh, but the twist is that Baltar's been surrounded by Cylons the entire time, so everyone in the fleet does live, but actually they're all Cylons, and Baltar was the only human, so technically they're right. Mm. Um, yeah, what do you think if we made it to a world where, let's say Battlestar Galactica gets to Earth and Gaius Baltar is the sole survivor? Is that a good or bad trajectory for Battlestar Galactica? I mean, it does track with, again, the Gaius Baltar small domino to large domino stumbling ass backwards into the most powerful position in the universe type of thing. It might be going a bit far. And again, that's why I'm leaning towards the number six posturing yeah. idea of like, oh, you're so important. You're going to be the father of the shape of things to come. You're the only human that will make it to Earth. Like, clearly, she is very much playing to his, yeah. Yeah, to his ego. She knows how egocentric he is, even in this position of distress, that, like, this will cause him to fall further and further into her favor. So I'm inclined at this moment to not believe this. I do believe though her facts about the human sacrifices on COBOL. Right. She talks about true. that. She talk, talks about human sacrifice happening on, on COBOL. You think that's legit? Yeah. I think that would make sense considering like, listen, the Bible, which tried to uh, portray a perfect about society that. was full of genocide and murder and atrocities that were committed oftentimes in acts of God or seemingly like, trying to follow god's orders so i would not be surprised if things were done if human sacrifices were made almost like a mass isaac and abraham except the bad ending plays out to like appease the gods and so i do think it wouldn't make sense i think it's also like a nice repudiation of human history that to six's point like this is just what we do and not yeah. to date this podcast too much but obviously there is war and conflict going on in a very significant portion right now and i think yep. that is just like a very blatant reminder that it violence does feel inevitable to us as a species and so i'm at least inclined at this moment to completely believe her and feel like 
yeah, things were a utopia until, of course, humans had to go human it up and start killing each other and sacrificing each other to appease the gods. Um, okay, before we frack off, let's talk about the frack count, Mike. We get 10 fracks in Valley of Darkness. Hot Dog's in this for five seconds, but gets two fracks off. Uh, Hilo falls asleep. Is it like Roadrunner? He goes, frack, frack, and then he just he, uh, That's right. Hilo gets two fracks off as well. A frack from Apollo, a frack from a really memorable frack from Callie, Tyrrell as well. Uh, Sir Bonington uh, is able to unleash a frack. A frack. Uh, uh, Ty as well. And of course, Jammer. Uh, the Jonathan of Battlestar Galactica is able to frack as well. So we have 18 fracks in season two through two episodes of the show. And Starbuck, our clubhouse leader overall, has not even landed on the board yet. Yeah, but she kind of has a don't give a frack attitude, sure. I would say. It's yes. an implied fracking. It's an implied fracking. It's an implied fracking. Um, all right, Mike. Uh, speaking of which, as we are uh, getting to the end of the line here, 15 episodes of Battlestar Galactica down. You have adjusted your prediction that Starbuck and Apollo will frack within 20 episodes. It did not happen uh, in this episode. How are you feeling? It's not looking good. Not looking good. Uh, I, uh, I'll put forward another bold prediction. I think we are going to see a walking, talking William Adama before we see Starbuck reuniting with people aboard the Big G. I think, considering how slow-moving we have been... Now, granted, we do see uh, Starbuck and Hilo getting a new set of wheels, Walking Dead-style, to end this episode. But otherwise, I can't imagine they're going to get, like, up and back with FTL travel to the Big G in the next five episodes. So... It's not looking good at the moment. Okay, well, we will see where it goes next week. Uh, fragged, not fracked, unfortunately. If next week's episode no. was called Fracked, you would feel better about this, but it is called Fragged, Fragged? Like, like Any predictions? Well, so this is from my remedial Halo days. Like, frag grenades were grenades that you would throw so are we dealing with some sort of explosives here that something mm. else is going to blow up? Hasn't the Big G had it badly enough? They have to patch up this freaking uh, starboard port after the Cylons crashed a hole through the roof. They're going to have to deal with so much, and it feels like they can't let their breath out yet. Okay, well, let's see if they get a chance to breathe when we show back up next week for Fragged, episode three of season two of BSG. Huge shouts to the team behind the curtain and Operation Mattingly for making this podcast possible, shipping all the goods through the pneumatic tubes to Mike Bloom and myself. We thank all the hatchlings as well. If you are not subscribed, search for Post Show Recaps down the hatch, Battlestar Galactica, wherever you get your podcasts, you will find our feed. We recommend subscribing. You'll never miss an episode of the show. If you want to get more involved, patreon.com slash post show recaps to support the podcast directly and get commercial free versions of down the hatch that's patreon.com slash post show recaps i'm at round howard wherever you can find me mike is at a mike bloom type wherever you can find him doing a whole mess of stuff that he's about to tell you about yeah just majorly reality tv stuff if you're following the cbs side of things we're having a lot of big moments happening survivor 45 is going strong the challenge usa is just finishing we're in the final month of big brother covering amazing race as well so doing weekly podcasts and articles interviews all at parade.com all right we will return next week as we emerge from the valley of darkness to potentially get dragged here on battlestar galactica until then everybody take care goodbye